Yes, Lord, your name is beautiful. Father, you have no rival. You have no equal. Nobody, Lord, can stand next to you. And yours is the glory. Yours is the power. Yours is the kingdom, O oh God. Father, you reign and you reign alone. Father, you are God all by yourself. Father, you are God. You have not appointed a deputy. Father, you are God. You are not man that you should lie. You do not change your mind, O oh God. You are still building your church. And Father, we thank you, Lord. We thank you that the gates of hell will not prevail. The gates of hell will not prevail against what you are doing, O oh God, amongst your people. Father, we honor you. We welcome you into this place, Lord. Father, we pray that our hearts be still and we lay every crown before you, Lord Jesus. We come bare, empty. We take whatever it is that makes us famous, we put it down. We take whatever it is that makes us educated and put it down. We take whatever it is that makes us intelligent and put it down. Father, we lay our crowns before you this morning and we invite you to be king. Be king in this room, Lord Jesus. Fill up this place with your presence. In the name of Jesus, we pray. We welcome you, Holy Spirit. Come and fill up this space with your presence. Thank you, Lord, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Can we give the worship team a hand? Thank you. Believe it or not, I'm nervous. Today we are talking about knowing Jesus. And as I was preparing, I put an undertone, I said, knowing me. Because we are always saying, I want to do me, right? Do me, do you, do who, do what. But who's me? <laughs> who's me? I don't know about you, but I'm still trying to figure out me. So when you ask me to do you, I don't know what you're asking me to do. <laughs> Amen. But I know that if I know Jesus, it will be easier to know me. Amen. If you're not familiar with me, ne? I want you to relax because we are about to have a conversation. I don't know if, you're, if you are used to the very serious uptight, but I want you to just chill. Regardless of where you are today, regardless of where you find yourself, regardless of whether you believe, you don't believe, it's okay. You are here. Relax. Okay. And our theme scripture is from Matthew 16, from verse 13 to 20. And we'll go into it just now. But as I'm busy introducing the, the, what we're speaking about today, I feel like life is a struggle for most of us. And if you've got it together today, we thank God for you. We bless the Lord for you. One day you will sit down and tell us how you're doing it. But for most of us, it's, it's like up and down. It feels like a roller coaster. It feels like we're just going through the most. You know, I once saw a meme that says, I don't know if I'm going through life or life is going through me, but God, we are just going. <laughs> and, and most of us are in that place, you know, and there's this popular saying where they say, bupilo, bupilo ki, dot, dot, dot. And you'll fill in whatever bupilo is to you at that point in time. So there was a time when it says, bupilo ki, spell in your Bill Park. Do you know how to spell Vanderbilt Park? Okay, do you know how to spell Czechoslovakia? How about Schwarzenegger? <laughs> so the other day I had somebody say Bupiloki exam. 
actually bupiloki aptitude test because sometimes exam comes with a scope but when somebody says you're about to do an aptitude test you do not know what they're about to test you on they throw shapes and they say which one is different how do you prepare for such an exam and i find life is like that for most of us right you feel like you're being tested on something that you were never given a scope for you don't even know how to prepare and on most days, you don't even know how long you have to write this exam. Because there's no manual, there's no rehearsal. Every take is the first take. And it could be the last take. Amen. So how do we go about this thing? But what are the major things that make Bupilo an exam? I think there are two major questions that we are constantly trying to answer in this journey called life. The one is on identity, that's the who am I? And the other one is on destiny, what am I here for? I feel like we are always trying to answer this question. Am I alone? It's just me, ne? we can all pray, say amen, and I go and figure out my things with Jesus, amen. So I thought, what if you had an exam that says 400 marks? Answer the following questions. Question 1A, who are you? And then question 1B, what are you here for? And last week, Pastor Chloe tried to tell us who we are in Christ, amen, and how we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing. I hope you were able to take something out of that message. But today I'm hoping that we're going to make it a bit more practical, amen, to deal with everyday life. And I think these questions influence a lot of things. These questions influence our decisions, our choices. These questions actually, you know, they, they map our trajectory. Oh, Jesus. Trajectory. You, ah, guys. Abubi Loki trajectory. Amen. So these questions, you know, we're all dealing with them. It's not a one size fits all. And yet there's one answer. It's one answer for all of us. Our answers don't come in the same way, but it's still the same answer. This answer, unfortunately, even when I figure it out, you can't copy it. You can't copy it. That's why I said there's some, some people who have figured it out. And no matter how hard you try, you can never copy it. Because you have to discover the answer yourself. Amen. Now, there's only one person who can answer this question. He's the only one who has the memo, and he's the one who made you. So if you are still struggling about who made you, we'll organize a sermon for the another day for that. But today, I'm speaking from the context of the fact that we did not evolve. We did not come from fish and serpents and trees and all those nice scientific things. And I would like you to put your science on the shelf today. Amen. I'm speaking from the context of we were made by God. So God only has the answer. Or God alone has the answer to our questions. So while we know that we are writing an exam, I want us to go and look into an event that happened in the Bible. Where Jesus gave his disciples an exam. And this is the first, I've read the scripture so many times, but it's the first time it actually comes through to me as... This was a very difficult test that he gave them. 
It's from Matthew 16, from verse 13. We'll read until verse 15 for now. It says, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others say Jeremiah, or one of the other prophets. Then he asked them, but who do you say that I am? Amen. As I was reading this, I thought, okay, let's deal with this one, one question at a time. Just to be able to understand this context a little bit, Jesus was, this place, the city of Philippi, was a place where people believed in idols. They worshipped idols. Okay. So have that in mind as you think of Jesus asking this question. Who do people say that I am? Jesus knew what people were saying, but he wanted to find out where the disciples were in all of this. Where are the disciples in all of this? Because your environment influences you, am I right? You might be a Christian, but you're living in a world where there's a lot of commentary about God. Who do people say that I am? Who do people say that the church of God is? Okay? So people say, um, maybe God is an ATM. God is the one that you go to. Mr. Modi spoke about it a few weeks ago. He says God becomes your cash cow. You go talk to him when the account is low or when the debts or the, the, low, the what do you call them, are calling you for money. And some people compare God to the most, I don't know, adorable, the person who means the most to them, superhero Nyan. I put Mandela there for a reason. Because in South Africa, when you think of a hero, you think of Mandela, right? Hopefully not Superman or Spider-Man or all the other men that <laughs> they are. So we think of Mandela, he came and he saved. And he brought peace and he brought the other thing and the other thing. Is that your picture of God? Some people say God is a loving father. Maybe you don't feel it, but that's what people are saying. Remember we're answering the question, who do people say that I am? And some people say God is very angry. He's mean. You don't play with him. He's not the kind of person you keep as a friend. All of those are narratives that we have of God. Am I right? Are we still together? Amen. Amen. So listen to how the disciples answered this. They said, some say you are Elijah or one of the prophets. So they are likening God to the most, I don't know, important, or the people who left the most, they did the most significant thing in their time or in previous, in the books that they read, right? So from the books they read, they, they know of Elijah, and Elijah did mighty things. So here's Jesus performing miracles. So he must be in that league of Elijah. But I want you to understand here that many people's opinions of God is based on maybe what their Sunday school teachers told them. Or maybe what your father was like. Uh-oh, did I step on your toe? Or some people's opinion of God is just basically what they've heard other people say. Yo, I'll never go to church because... So some people have not, they don't have their own experience, but it's based on other people's experiences. And, okay, it's not mine. I can breathe. Okay. 
Now today I have good news and I have bad news for you. But unfortunately it's the same thing. I hope it's good for you. And the good news is, God can never be equated to anything or anyone you have ever known or experienced. And I hope that's comforting for somebody this morning. And I hope that releases you from this picture of who God is or what people say God is. And sadly, some people continue to run away because of this picture. Whatever this picture, because of what people are saying, some people continue to run away from God. My mother always used to say, God has no grandchildren. You either know him or you don't know him. No matter how fervent or Christian your parents are, they can never be able to give you a relationship with God. It has to be a one-on-one thing. So we need to find a way of shifting from what people say about God to the next question. And what was the next question? Who do you say that I am? I'm so thankful that Jesus did not leave that question as what do people say? Because if he had left it there, then we are stuck because we will not know the truth. So the conversation carried on. Before I go to who do you say I am, I just felt I should say something at this point in time. We need to filter. We need to filter what we base our convictions on. Can I say it again? We need to filter what we base our convictions on. When you sit down and ask yourself, what do I truly believe? We need to ask ourselves, where do my convictions come from? Our convictions about God, our convictions about people, and our convictions about life. Because all of these things direct our path, whether we like it or we don't. Let's go to the second point. Who do you say that I am? There are some more pictures there. We still have the ATM. So yes, people might say God is an ATM, but you might also say God is an ATM. I have an interesting picture there of a microscope. Somebody looking through a microscope. Because sometimes we feel that God is this nitpicking God who's constantly coming and trying to look and look for how you are not perfect. Look and see if the I's are dotted and the T's are crossed. And that's a very fearful picture of God. That is a picture of God that I don't know about you, but I would not like anybody looking at my life through a microscope. Because I probably will not qualify. Amen. And I want to thank God that for me, he's not that God. And I want to encourage you, if you find yourself in that place today, I'd like your mind to be tuned to the next picture of a loving father. A father who holds his child here. You know what this means? This means you are safe. This means I've got you. This means there's nothing that will come near you that has not passed through me. And I hope that some of us find ourselves in that space today. The last picture there of Barack Obama. (laughs) I was trying to find a powerful person who looks disappointed. Because some of us have that picture of God. We feel that if the most powerful person can be disappointed in me, what chance do I stand? And you think God is disappointed in you because of your past or your present. But I want to remind you 
that Jesus died for you before you even knew who you were. I don't want to end the sermon here, but let's carry on. Who do you say <laughs> that I am? I can imagine the silence as Jesus asked this question to his disciples. Who do you say that I am? He's asking people who have walked with him, right? He's asking people who have seen him perform miracles. He's asking people who have journeyed. These were not strangers. Do you agree with me? But I don't think they were expecting this question. And we are mostly Christians here. And if I had to ask you that question, how would you answer it? After all your years of being a Christian. Jesus knew what they thought of him. He knew. But he was wanting them to ask themselves this question. Jesus asked questions that he already has answers to. <laughs> Amen. But he asked us a question so that we ask ourselves that question and find out where we really are in this whole thing. Now, let's talk about Peter for a second. You know Peter? If Wapapa was a person, <laughs> it would have been Peter. <laughs> if no filter was a person, it would have been Peter. Of all Jesus' disciples, Peter is the one that we get a lot of news from. Because Peter was forward. Peter was, he was that child in your class. Remember your class in school? <laughs> Some of you are still in that class and there's this one child. It's the one who will ask, teacher, is there homework? It's the one who will say, teacher, they are talking. Peter. This was Peter. Of all the disciples, Peter is the only one who chose to put his hand up. And I'm thinking as he was putting his hand up, that was Peter. You see that picture? That's Peter. Oh, you can't see it from... I wish you could see it from my screen. But you can get it picture, eh? Peter was there. And I'm sure the other disciples were saying, shh, shh, shh. Put your hands down. <laughs> but Peter is like, I know. I've got this one. I've got it. I've got it. And you know, Peter inspires me. I love Peter. Peter is one of my almost favorite characters in the Bible because Peter was real. Peter wanted to understand things. Peter did not just take Gunje. Jesus is washing feet. He's saying, hi, man, why? Why are you washing my feet? I'm, I must wash your feet. That's how it should work. And Jesus says, hey, if I don't wash your feet, you don't have a place. He says, I don't wash only the feet. Wash the whole body, Jesus. <laughs> Watch the whole body. That was the kind of person Peter was. So Peter volunteers an answer. And I'm thinking, you know that attitude of Peter should be the attitude that we should walk out of this room with today. Peter was, he had a childlike attitude. He was enthusiastic. He was intentional. He was, he was not putting up a show in his journey with God. You know, he understood his limitations. But he was also excited to be part of this journey. Amen. So Peter put his hands up. And I thought, okay, Peter, what are you about to say? And before I tell you what Peter said, I want you to realize that Peter's hand was not up because he knew he had the correct answer. Peter's hand was up because he knew he was in the correct classroom. Amen. Peter knew that he, 
I'm safe in this space. Whether my answer is right or wrong, I'm safe. This is the teacher. This must be a learning moment. And I want to encourage somebody this today. If you feel that you cannot put your hands up because you, you haven't gotten it right, you cannot serve because you have not figured it out, you cannot serve because there's still a lot of drama that you need to deal with, I want you to be like Peter this morning and say, it's fine, my hand is up. Anyway, Jesus, if you don't want my hand, you will put me down and ask another person to answer. But my hand is up. And Peter says, you are the son of the living God. You are the son of the living God. You know, then I asked myself, how did Peter know this? And then I remembered that two chapters away, if you read in Matthew 14, of all the disciples who were in a boat and saw a ghost walking on water, Peter is the only one who dared and said, if it is you, tell me to come. Peter is the only one who had had that experience. Of all the others, Peter is the one who knew for sure that Jesus was the one walking on the water. And how did he know? Because when Jesus said, come, Peter got up. I get what, up. He got up. He says yes, then he asks how, how later. <laughs> he got out of the boat and he started walking. And the Bible says he got fearful because he's human, right? And when he started drowning, he called for help. And who saved him? The same Jesus that now he's saying, you are the son of God. You see, so Peter's answer was also based on trust because he has experienced the Son of God. And it was based on experience. You cannot give this answer until you have experienced. Amen. That's why I said to you that this answer cannot be copied, cannot be faked. You cannot say he's a healer until you've known he's healed you. You cannot say he's a provider if you've never been in need. Amen. So if you want to experience Jesus in certain spaces, you have to walk on water. You have to get out of your boat to be able to say he's the son of the living God. And listen to what Jesus said. Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. You know, Peter was not the smartest ne, of them all. He was a fisherman. Okay, I'm on Peter today, but I'm, I'm Peter. <laughs> Amen. He was a fisherman. And by standards, I mean, there were both Luke and who, who, and who, who, who in the time of Jesus. They were more intelligent. The tax collectors, if you're a tax collector, for sure you know something about money. Ne? Yeah, the accountants and all of that. So he's hanging out with people who he's not trying to compete with, you know. But then Jesus says to him, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. You know, as I was reading this, I thought, <laughs> our flesh and our blood is limited when it comes to knowing who God is. There's no amount of history. I love you, Maguarelane, but my husband loves history. He, 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 he watches both St. Mamang, of both St. Guys, people you will never hear of in the Bible. The history of the church, the history of the first apostle who was killed, I don't know who they are. But if you ask him, he'll tell you. There's no amount of archaeology. All the people who have dug stones and things. And there's no amount of theology. I'm sorry to step on any spiritual toes this morning. 
And yes, Balisa, continue with your theology. The Lord bless you and keep you and make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. But there's none of all those things who can reveal the truth about God to us. That is good news for me because it means that I can experience God without all of this. Amen. Flesh and blood did not reveal this to you. For us to experience God, we have to go past our science. We have to go past our degrees. We have to go past even your experiences. Let me put it that way. Because they will limit your knowledge of God. If you ever get to a point where you feel like you know, then you stop knowing God. We will miss him. That's what I wrote here. We will miss him if we rely entirely on head knowledge. Jesus said, my father revealed this to you. Because that has to be how close you get. Proximity is what brings revelation. Amen. And I thought, we can only know God when we are able to put aside everything else that we know. And every morning you say, Father, I want a fresh experience of you today. I want to know you differently today from how I saw you yesterday. I want to see you differently. And sometimes you see God differently in people. You see God differently in people. God used Peter to reveal to the other disciples who this person is. Amen. So don't underestimate anyone as well. So let's go to the knowing me part. Knowing me, what I'm, who am I and what am I here for? So after Peter had confessed who Jesus is, guess what happens? It was time now for Peter to find out who he is. Amen. And listen to what Jesus said. He says, now I say to you that you are Peter. Like, duh. You're thinking, why is Jesus stating the obvious? We already know. But he carries on. He says, you are Peter. It means rock. And upon this rock, I will build my church. And all the powers of hell will not conquer it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven. And whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. I want us to look at the part of identity, for starters. Jesus was establishing Peter's identity. Amen. Jesus was saying, Peter, let me tell you who you are. If you read it in the message translation, it says, okay, and now Peter, let me tell you who you really are. That's how the message puts it. You know, it says, um, I'm going to tell you who you really, really are. You are Peter, a rock. That's what the message says. Now, sometimes we feel like we're anonymous to God, ne? Like, who am I? God is answering the prayers. They're getting their prayers answered. You know, there are people that God knows. Maratina, No name. And today, when I read that, or when I was reading that scripture, I realized that, you know what, Jesus knows who you are. Jesus knows who you are. And he also knows the name that not only your parent gave you, but the names that you have fetched along the way. Because we fetch names along the way, right? What are the names that some people have fetched? The leper, the blind man, 
the barren woman, the widow, the tax collector. Let's bring it closer home. The divorced woman, the one whose child is in prison, the one whose child is a drug, you know, is dr struggling with drugs. These are some of the names that we are known by. But I want to encourage you today that Jesus knows you. And <laughs> let me take it further to say that we cannot get stuck on what people call us. What is important is who Jesus calls you. And Jesus said, you are a rock. That could be good and it could be bad. Because a rock is crude, it's hard, it's shapeless sometimes, it's untamed, it has sharp edges. But a rock is also solid. And a rock does not change. And a rock is, is there. It's constant. But Jesus is saying more than that. He's saying, I know you. I know all your sharp, rough edges. And it is still you that I want to build my church on. You. With your sharp edges. With your rough edges. With your sometimes I don't have it all together. With your wapapa like Peter. It is still you. Peter, I'm not looking for somebody else to build my church on. I'm looking for you. Peter, from rock, I can make church. Peter, rock is not the end of it. Peter, I'm the one who can change what seems to be hard and shapeless into my church. And Peter, I'm the one who's building. Peter, focus. Focus on me. I'm the one who's building. It's not Bartholomew. It's not Judas. Because we get carried away with the people around us who we think God is using. And God is saying, it's you that I want to build my church on. And do you think at that time, Jesus did not know Peter was going to betray him? Peter had not yet betrayed him by then. Amen. He had not yet betrayed Jesus. But Jesus knew that Peter was going to betray him. And did he change his mind about wanting to use Peter to build a church? It didn't. There's nothing that you have done, you are doing, you are about to do, that will stop Jesus from building his church through you. The only thing you need to do is to put your hand up, like Peter, and say, okay, God, if you have chosen me, then it doesn't matter what else is happening around me, what whoever else thinks of me. It doesn't matter what my failures are. It doesn't matter what I'm currently struggling with. Because you have said you will build your church on me. Jesus was re 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 reaffirming Peter here. Jesus was saying, Peter, it's you. You are a rock. You I want. It's you I'm going to use. And I don't know what the meaning of your name is today. But I want you to give God an opportunity to change your name. To call you what he wants to call you. What he has already chosen before the beginning of time to call you. God is not looking for perfect people. God is looking for willing people. 
God is looking for you. The other thing I want to point out today is that the foundation of our faith is built on the revelation that Jesus is the Son of God. You know these days there's a lot of fluff. I call it fluff. Fluff. Things that are not really the thing, but they're getting a lot of attention. You understand? The gospel of Jesus Christ is very simple. The Bible says you believe in your heart, you confess in your mouth, you will be saved. Period. But we have complicated the gospel. We have made it so many things that it isn't. On this foundation, I will build my church. On what foundation? You confess in your heart. Sorry, you, you believe in your heart, you confess in your mouth that Jesus is the Son of God. Period. That is the gospel. And I don't know where you find yourself today, because if you're trying to maneuver chapter 6 and chapter 7 and chapter 8, all you needed is the first sentence. Do you believe in your heart? Are you willing to confess it with your mouth? That is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Not the added what what that we are dealing with today. So now we've known God. We've known who we are. What is our purpose? Somebody is asking, what am I here for? And let's look at the same scripture we read. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you forbid on earth, I want you to, to highlight whatever. 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 You know, there was a time I was so stuck on thinking that the only time God will use me is if, you know, you, people talk about ministry as if it's this fancy thing where you're just serving God. You wake up, it's Jesus. You go to bed, it's Jesus. You eat Jesus, Jesus, Jesus the whole day. You don't read any book. You just read the Bible the whole day. You don't switch on the TV, no social media. It's Jesus the whole day. And if you are there, we thank God for you. Don't get me wrong. But I want to tell you that you have purpose in the day-to-day -day that you do. In the job that you are doing right now, your purpose is in there. Imagine if you get to the age of 60 and you realize, no, eh, I've wasted my whole life. Uh -uh. I want you to find purpose in what you are doing today. What does that look like? That means, let me make it very simple to you, for you. Everything you do, ask yourself, is God using this to build the church or not? It's that simple. If you're a teacher, you ask yourself, is God using this lesson, my interaction with this child, my interaction with my colleagues, to build his church or not? And if you feel like it's not, then there's something that you need to adjust. We, we're, not, we're not saying change your jobs. Nobody is saying, God, quit a job here today. Please don't quit a job. We need offerings and tithe <laughs> in this church. Amen. I had to throw it out there for free. What I'm saying is you find purpose in where you are today. In your parenting, find purpose. In your career, find purpose. Because you've been given a key. Do you know what a key is? A key says you have access. A key says you have authority. A key says that you, yes, it's nice to knock. I can knock on the doors in my room, in my house. But I can also walk in there like so. Because I've got a key to that house. We need to stop living apologetically as Christians. We need to show up in the room. 
wherever, whichever room you find yourself, business people show up like people who have keys to God's kingdom. That also means that you give jobs. That also means that you help the poor. That also means you find people who are in need around you because you have the key to the kingdom of heaven. And let me tell you, if you think you will reign in heaven only, then you're going to miss out on a lot of God's purpose for you on earth. Because if he did not want us to reign on earth, he did not say whatever you permit on earth. Read that scripture. You permit in heaven, you permit on earth. Amen. That means when you show up in your work tomorrow, you show up like God sent you there. You show up like you are the new tenant that God just gave a key to and said, manage this house for me until I come. That is the authority that God has given us. That is purpose. Yes, purpose is in serving in the church of God. But purpose is in doing the thing that you are doing today and doing it like you were sent to do it. Amen. Is, is it complicated? It's not, ne? Yeah. Purpose means that if you're doing dishes, you do it with intention. You do it like the king is going to eat on that plate. Purpose means when you look after your mother-in-law. <laughs> okay, Busi, stop. Now you are Peter. Wap up. Amen. Um, we've been given permission to rule, as I round up. We've been given permission to show up. We've been given direction, so there is no more confusion as a child of God. If you're not sure what else you need to show up in, find somebody who's close to you and ask them, do you feel like I'm living my purpose? How do you feel that I can show up more in the space that I'm in? It's a very scary question to ask. Very scary. But remember that Jesus affirms you first. You don't get your affirmation from anybody else. Now in conclusion, I don't know where you find yourself stuck in this exam. I don't know whether you're stuck in the who am I part or whether you're stuck in the what am I here for part. But this morning, my first invitation is to people who are saying, I don't even know this Jesus. I cannot say for sure you are the son of the living God. Because if you are still stuck there, we cannot get to the part where you even know who you are. So I'm going to ask us to close our eyes as the worship team comes up this morning. And I want, to, I want us to think about it. You know, it's very easy to say, I grew up in church. I went to Sunday school all my life. I know who he is. But are you able to say that indeed I have received that revelation of who he really is? And I'm not going to drag this out for long. But I want to say if you are in this room and you want to be able to say for a fact, Jesus, you are the son of the living God. Not because I figured it out, not because I understand it, but because I've seen you 
You are the son of the living God. Is there anybody like that in this room today? You are the son of the living God. You want to say it with confidence. Okay. Amen. There's nobody. I'm going to carry on. There are some of us that are still stuck on the who am I part. Who am I? You understand what I've said today. You're not really feeling it. And it's okay. Because one thing I know for sure is you don't have to feel things. It doesn't change God's truth about you. But if you want to say, Father, I believe what you say about me today. That you want to build your church on me. That I'm good enough for you. As hard and as crude as a, and as stubborn, as unrefined with all my sharp edges, I want to believe, I want to accept your truth that you've spoken over me today. If you're in this room, I want you to just put your hands up. Amen. I see a hand if you are here. And you want to believe what God, you want to agree with God. Let me put it that way. Say, Father, I agree with what you say of me. Amen. You can put your hands down. And the last call is for those who say, Lord, build your church and start with me. Build your church and start with me. That could be my career. It could be my marriage. It could be in my home. It could be in my business. Build your church and start with me. If you're here in this room, please raise up your hand. Thank you, Jesus. Can I invite everybody to just stand on their feet this morning? Every one of us. Father Lord, we thank you. We thank you, Lord, that you choose to call us to be part of what you are doing. We thank you, Lord, that you choose to bring us into the building of your church. Not just the physical building, but the actual work that you're doing on this earth. And Father, we put our hands up this morning and we say, yes, Lord, we will go with you. Yes, Lord, we agree with you. We agree with you that you have not called perfect people. We agree with you, O oh God, that you're able to use us. You're able to turn the rock into a church. We agree with you that you have called us. We agree with you, O oh God, that we are part of what you are doing. Father, we thank you because you choose to, be, to bring us closer to you. You choose to reveal yourself to us. Father, I pray for everybody, anybody here who's struggling with their identity. I pray, Lord, that you will reaffirm them. I pray, Lord, that you will reveal to them who you call them this morning. Father, I pray for anyone who's still struggling to find purpose. Let them understand, Lord, that your purpose for them is to build your church. I release your presence, O oh God, everyone in this room today. And Father, I know that there are people who are struggling this morning with self-worth, with their self-image right now. Father, I pray for restoration. I pray for healing. 
I pray for deliverance, oh God. I pray against every spirit. I pray against every spirit of depression in this room. I pray against every spirit of self-hate in this room. I pray against every spirit of worthlessness in this room. I pray against every spirit of rejection in this room. I pray against every spirit of being cast out in this room. Father, thank you because you are the master builder and every brick counts. Father, build your church and start with us. We ask this in your precious name. Amen. God bless you.